All right, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way. How's it going, guys? That was delayed. It was very delayed. We're uh, wrapping up our coverage from attending Oregon practice twice this week. Uh, we get to go to watch practice on Tuesdays, and we also get to watch practice on Wednesdays. Uh, Tuesday is an offensive day. Wednesday is a, is a defensive day. And um, this is a big week for, for both units because they're coming off a 34-20 to loss at Washington State, kind of a walking into a perfect storm, if you will. And probably the Super Bowl, biggest game at Washington State in a long time. Uh, a guy that grew up in Eugene I went to high school with and played quarterback there. It's one of the best quarterbacks to play at Washington State, Alex Brink. He does their, their radio and, uh, analysis, and he said ahead of the game to me that that was the, their biggest game probably in Martin Stadium history. And so Oregon walked into a buzzsaw, perfect storm, if you will, and lost 34-20. to 20. It was ugly in the first half, probably the worst half of football I can remember in a long period of time. Sure. And uh, I, I can't recall maybe Washington in 2016 of a half being worse than that. Um, and now Oregon has to bounce back. Because they're going down on the road, uh, playing an Arizona team that's three and five overall, two and three in the Pac-12. Uh, but a team that it, it's their homecoming. Jalen Jelks, Oregon star defensive lineman, said, you know, this week it, it doesn't really matter who's at quarterback uh, for the Wildcats. It, it's homecoming week. They're going to be jacked up. It's going to be a similar environment uh, than it was up in Pullman for Washington State, which I don't necessarily agree with. But it's still going to be hostile. And that fan base seems to always get up for Oregon when Oregon comes to town for football. And if you and if you want to use the whole analogy about being a Super Bowl, Arizona really can't lose this game if they want to be bowl eligible this year. Um, they would be three and six with a loss, which means they have literally no margin of error down the stretch. And they play some pretty good teams to finish the season. So this is a game that really Arizona probably feels like they have to win if they want to go to a bowl game, which is obviously every team's goal, and especially for a team like Arizona, which is you know kind of had. A, the year from hell with injuries, with the new system that they put in, with all sorts of things, they probably feel like making a bowl game would, would salvage it to some degree. So I, I would expect this to be an Arizona team that's hungry and that's that's prepared and, and wants to come out and win and show that the last two weeks where they've lost to Utah in dominant fashion, they got absolutely obliterated in that game and then had a close loss to a suddenly charging UCLA team that a couple of weeks ago hadn't won a game but suddenly has two wins and is a game or two from maybe leading the Pac-12 South. We'll get to that later, but that's just a bizarre storyline. So this is an Arizona team that, that feels like I'm sure that, that this is this is a huge game for them. And it's a huge game for Oregon, too, for a lot of the reasons you just said. Um, I wrote about on the story um, earlier today on Duck Territory. I guess it would have been on uh, on Tuesday, but just about Oregon's path to win the Pac-12 North. And it basically means they can't lose again if they want to win the division. And it starts this week. Obviously, it's it's going to be a, a challenging schedule um, against Utah in a couple weeks. But other than that, it, this is probably kind of starting an easier section of games for the Ducks. So um, a lot of things to kind of get to. And we should maybe start by talking about kind of the availability and injury updates that we have because that's fresh in our minds. We just spoke with Mario Cristobal and, and he kind of laid things out for us. Yeah, there's offensively and defensively, there's going to be some updates. Obviously, we know about Penny Sewell. He's still out for a while. At left tackle, they had to move Calvin Throckmorton over to left tackle. Uh, Brady Ayello is starting at right tackle, but on Wednesday, Mario Cristobal talked about how they're they're messing with a lot of guys at at those positions. They've put Throckmorton at guard. They've had Brady Ayello at, at left tackle and right tackle. They've had George Moore get some reps at left tackle. Stephen Jones get some reps at left tackle. 
they're trying to mix and match, trying to figure out what the best option was because I don't think against Washington State, Brady Ayello's performance was not the reason why Oregon struggled offensively no. uh, in that game. It, it was the whole collective offensive line. They were not good as a group uh, in that in that first half, and I think so. This this week, it's all about okay. Let's go back. Let's see what was working. What didn't work? Why not? And how can we fix that or prevent that from happening? And, and part of that entails new guys playing in different positions. Uh, outside of that, offensively, Oregon seems to be pretty much healthy. Yeah, CJ uh, Verdell, we should mention, seems to be good. I mean, I think that was maybe the big concern. He didn't finish the game, had a hip injury. Crystal Ball said he'd be good. I talked to CJ on Tuesday. He said he'd be good. So I think you feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and that's big news for Oregon. I think it's pretty clear that through the first, what, seven games of the football season, Verdell is running back number one. Absolutely. And I don't think you can really challenge that. You know, coaches are going to come out and say, we want to get everyone carries. And sure. Chris Ball said that this week about Tony Brooks-James and how they need to get him carries. But it's, it's become obvious. Uh, Oregon's number one running back is C.J. Verdell. And after that, how it shakes out is up for, up for debate. Tony Brooks-James is healthy. Mm-hmm. They did say they want to get him more carries. He has taken the first team reps. Uh, during the two portions of practice that are open to the media, um, but that's not every single offensive drill either. Let's just really quickly, uh, I went and looked at the numbers in Pac-12 play in terms of the running back distribution, and Verdell has 70 carries in four Pac-12 games, Travis Dye has 45, Cyrus Rodriguez-Lakio has eight, and Tony Brooks-James has six. So clearly right now, Verdell is the top running back. He has you know fairly close to about a, two times more than anyone else and he has more than the rest of the running backs combined in terms of just total carries. So I think it's pretty clear. It would be interesting to see what it would look like for Brooks James to get a bigger role. What it would look like for Habibi Lakeo to get a bigger role. But for my money, Verdell's been the guy, and I don't see a reason to to mess with it. And frankly, when Oregon did mess with it against um, against Washington State and they brought in Travis Dye in that goal line situation, it didn't play out well. And I know Cristobal said after the game Verdell was winded and they wanted to give him a break, but... Um, I think you roll with them. I, I, it hurt them from my perspective. Um, I don't know if they would have scored if Verdell had been running because I just don't think the offensive line made the holes. But it certainly could have been a situation where Verdell might have run better and, and found a way to gain some yards and it would have been a different situation. So, yeah, I think you're going to roll with that. And quickly on the defensive line uh, or the defensive side of things, there's a, I just put a story up on Duck Territory because we've got some updates on this. Isaac Slade. Uh, it's going to be out for at least two weeks. He's got a shoulder injury. Cristobal didn't really go into more detail on, on kind of if he's had a procedure done or not, but he did say earlier this week they would be testing, um, and they were optimistic going into it, but he said, unfortunately, it didn't kind of turn out their way. So at least two weeks with him, he's one of the key reserve linebackers. I think he had six tackles the, against Washington. He's the guy that if, if Troy Dye or Kalana Apolu have sure. to come off the field, Isaac Slade is the one that comes in for them. Yeah, and we saw it last week. Troy Dye was banged up for two or three plays, and uh, and, and Slade was the one that, that substituted in. So um, he, he is a, a potentially a key part of this defense. And it's worth noting that inside linebacker uh, Kalana Apelu hasn't practiced this week. I did speak with him um, earlier today, and, and the good news, he said, I will for sure play. Um, players say this stuff, and, and sometimes it doesn't take place. But he seemed pretty confident. You know, I asked him what the specifics of the injury. He said it was the whole body. I asked him, was it one play? And he said it's just an accumulation of playing a football season. So, you know, it sounds like he's just kind of dealing with maybe some, some nicks and bruises. But it sounds like he will be a good uh, able to play, which would have been potentially catastrophic if he isn't able to play. I know some people in the past have been critical of his play, but he's been a critical part of this defense. Second on the team in tackles, been playing some really good football. 
And the drop-off from him to Isaac Slade might not be large, but the drop-off from him to Isaac Slade to then Samson New, who would be replacing him, would be pretty significant because New really hasn't played a lot this year, and he played a little bit last year. But, um, you know, obviously they prefer not to go to him. Um, New was running with the first team the last two days in practice while Apolu was unavailable. Austin Falu, um, his according to, according to Coach Cristobal, 50-50 to play this week. Um, he did not start at Washington State. He's been, but he did play a little bit. But he's been kind of really been limited since that Stanford game. You know, he he hasn't, I don't think, put in a full practice basically since then. So it's been about a month since we've seen him full full strength. Drayton Carberg expected um, to get the reps if uh, Falu does not play. Carberg did start against Washington State. So there's kind of the rundown of the injuries um, for people listening. Just it, the Ducks are. Certainly not as banged up as they could be, but they're now two or three guys that are key contributors that, that are not available, so certainly something to keep an eye on. This Arizona game in itself, I think people look at the Wildcats and think, oh, they're 3-5. and five. You know, They lost a tough game at home to BYU, 28-23. Got blown out on national TV at Houston the following week, 45-18. to 18. And then, obviously, they came back and, and won two straight against Southern Utah and then out of Oregon State. Um, but they lost a tough one, 24-20 at uh, home at the USC. They went on the road and, and beat Cal 24-17. And then most recently, they've, they've had a blowout loss at Utah on a Friday, 42-10. And then uh, they lost a barn burner, 31-30 at, at UCLA last weekend. I think people look at this team think, oh, they're terrible. They're one of the worst teams in the league. And I don't necessarily think that. I, I think... Khalil Tate, his status at, at quarterback has been a huge issue for this offense. Um, he's not been right at all the last couple of weeks. I think even going back to last season. Yeah, and Rhett Rodriguez, the backup quarterback, replaced him early in that Utah game, and um, the offense struggled throughout. I think you can kind of chalk that one up. Hey, they had to make a quarterback change, a drastic change from a pro-style a pro quarterback and Rhett Rodriguez from a Wildcat, you know, spread option type guy and Khalil Tate. But then you go back and look at what they did last week, um, and they put up 30 points. Yeah, it's against UCLA, but they put up 30 points, and that was the first time that they'd scored 30 points since September 22nd at Oregon State, the worst com- you know team in the conference. Yeah. Um, and, and that's you know that's their third highest uh, – excuse me, that's their, it's their second high, third highest scoring output of the year, and their two highest are Southern Utah and FCS team. And Oregon State, which they only scored 35 against. So I, I think they're figuring things out maybe a little bit offensively. Their run game is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, it's great. Uh, running back J.J. Taylor leads the, the all Power 5 players with 1,315 yards of offense. He's third among all FBS players with 164 yards. Their running backs are really good. And today, Mario Cristobal said that he thinks that they're the most underrated position group in the entire Pac-12. They're that good. I, I, I'm pretty impressed with them because go back to last year with Oregon. They could not throw the football, and yet Oregon's offensive line was good enough to put up you know big rushing numbers. Obviously, having Royce Freeman helps. That's kind of a similar state that Arizona's in right now. They can't really throw the ball, yeah. but offensively, they're still able to move up and down the field because their running backs and their offensive line but, is so good. And it's worth noting we don't even know who would be throwing the ball right. if they did try to throw the football because Khalil Tate did not play last week um, against UCLA. 
there's been kind of mums the word out of Tucson. I'm, I'm just reading a report here from, I don't think someone has spoken with the media since Monday on Monday. He said no, he hasn't. That, that, that it was possible that, that uh, Tate would come back. If not, it would be Rhett Rodriguez. And I get a kick out of this because I think this is such a bizarre dynamic. Rhett Rodriguez, the son of Rich Rodriguez, started against UCLA, finished the Utah game. He would be in line to start. I just think it's such a weird dynamic that your father would be forced out of a position in a situation like that. And that you would stick around, but I guess good on him for doing that. So, you know, if, 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 and it kind of seems, I don't, I don't, I won't be too confident, but it seems almost unlikely Tate comes back this quickly coming off an ankle injury, but you never know. And if he does, what are you getting out of him? But it's, a, I think it's a good possibility Oregon faces Rodriguez this week. Um, and he wasn't fantastic last week, but he did have 231 yards passing, two touchdowns, also through two interceptions. Certainly not quite Khalil Tate athletically, but um, a serviceable player. So I think this Oregon defense, and we talked about it earlier, just the, if there's an area that they're banged up, it's defensively. That yeah. Two of their key linebackers are, are, are kind of banged up right now. One of the key defensive linemen are banged up. If there's an offense right now that could really give them some trouble, obviously besides Washington State, which we just saw full well what they can do, it might be an offense like Arizona that is so good on the ground because if you've got players that aren't accustomed to playing very big minutes like a Samson knew if, if a Papello can't go or if he's hurt during the game. That's a, I'm sure Arizona's going to target those guys and try to utilize these running backs um, who've been, like you said, as a dynamic pair as there is in the conference. Um, certainly going to be probably the most dynamic running tandem Oregon has faced this season. Um, I mean, you think of Bryce Love, but he didn't play particularly well in that game. And even against Washington, Gaskin was kind of dinked up. So this is a potentially a, a big challenge for Oregon's front seven. And I think they're going to be up to it. Yeah. Um, you look, this is the strength of the defense. They've been among the best in the Pac-12 against the run. But you also wonder if they're going to be healthy enough. And, and if, if that's the case, this might be a game where um, I think many expect Oregon to win handily. I know Vegas not sure what the line has moved to, but um, it opened as about a 10-point favorite for Oregon on the road. A lot of people think this could be a blowout, but uh, if Arizona gets their running game going, can run some clock, and this Oregon offensive line, like you said, which is still kind of in the process of transitioning some personnel stuff, struggles again. This could be a game that ends up being a dogfight. You know? um, I, don't think Washington, I don't think Arizona presents nearly enough challenges defensively. This is a really bad defensive team. I think they're 11th in the conference in total yardage allowed. And they're pretty low in passing and rushing, but who knows? Maybe things get wild with this Arizona running back group, which we've spoken about already. Just is able to run wild. Diamante Lenore, Oregon's cornerback, who's got three interceptions in the last two games for the Ducks. Um, he spoke about kind of the challenges of of playing Arizona's offense, and he he referenced Stanford, and it goes to. Sean Pondexter, Arizona's senior receiver, six foot five. He's got in the last ten games, he has thirty nine receptions for seven hundred and four yards. This season alone, you know, thirty receptions, five hundred and fifty two yards. He's their big play guy, mm-hmm. and he's having a career year in his final season of college football. And that's look, Oregon has struggled all year against receivers that are big, big dudes. And this is another one of those guys that's a bigger type receiver. Now, they don't have a lot of them like Stanford does, but they have a couple. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like you said, the way Arizona is going to beat Oregon is with a running game that's consistent and then making some big plays, making some crazy plays, some wild things happening in the game. And that's taking some deep shots or 
know, throwing some fade routes in the, in, in the short game inside the red zone against Oregon's corners, who have proven yeah. through seven games this season that they're probably the weak link of, sure. of this defense. I think it's hard to argue against that, and, and you'd like to see. I thought they performed pretty well against Washington. Obviously, last week's game against Washington State, such a strange matchup, but you know it's hard to be particularly kind to how they played. I didn't think they played very well in that game. A lot of cushion giving up Washington State, a lot of the yards after the catch. But I like that comparison that you just made there to the Stanford offense because I kind of see that too. Obviously, stylistically, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, Arizona's going to spread you out. It's a, it's a spread offense. It's not Stanford where 60% of the time they're just going to line up in a pro style and, and try to smash it down your throat and, and do some things that you don't see from most teams in the conference. But they are a little bit nuanced, and they do have, I think, the ability to do some things that have given Oregon trouble. You know, with the run game, with the big receivers on the outside, if Khalil Tate is healthy – a mobile quarterback has really been something that seems to have given Oregon some difficulties. You look back to Portland State having some success running, even Jake Browning. Even Minshew. Even Minshew having some success. Um, uh, Browning not necessarily running, but you know, evading, evading, uh, evading tackles. tackles for sacks and stuff. So certainly some challenges. I still think, and I said this you know, in the heat of following the Washington State game that I, I expected. My hot take was, and if you listen to this podcast, you know it, it, uh, that, that Oregon would win four of their final five games by 28 points or more. I still think that's on the table. I still think if Oregon comes out and plays the game, we know they're capable of playing. If they have, you know, if they use last weekend's game in Pullman as a wake-up call, I still think this team can go out and just manhandle them, manhandle the, the Wildcats, and can win very, very favorably. But I also think there's a scenario here where, like what we've just been talking about, if, if Arizona is able to execute like they want to and, and can play a complete game, that this could be a much more competitive game than we expected. I still don't think Oregon's going to lose. I'm pretty confident. This is probably the most confident I've been in Pac-12 play about Oregon winning um, a football game. But at the same time, uh, I, I think Arizona certainly poses some problems. I mean, look, Oregon, for the fact of the matter, they, they've won two road games in the last two years. Or three years, almost three seasons. Almost three full seasons, yeah. You know, they have they are a team, historically, for most of these guys on this football team, when they leave Autzen Stadium, they don't win and they don't play very well. Even the Cal game at parts earlier this season was, for lack of a better term, ugly. Yeah. And, you know, you could have made a case, there were points in that game that, a play here, a play there, goes Cal's way, they win that football game. Oregon just is different away from home. And that's kind of one of my biggest things I'm paying attention to, what I'm watching this week in this game is, A, how does this team respond now that their backs are against the wall and competing a conference championship? Because after that Washington win, they talked a lot about, you know, hey, we're back, we, we, we can compete for Rose Bowl. Yeah. That's kind of what the fan base was discussing. And... Uh, clearly, that's not the case now because Washington State beat them. I think they, you know, outside of about twenty minutes of of action in the second half, convincingly beat the Ducks. Yeah, absolutely. And now Oregon's not out of the Rose Bowl contention, but they need a lot of help. A ton of help. And to be able to get there, though, they've got to win on the road. This is a game. If you're a team that's that's a top twenty team, which Oregon is right now, they're nineteenth in the country. If you are a, if you are that type of a team. You go into Arizona after a bad loss like that, like you had at Washington State, and you pulverize this team. You you obliterate them. That you you destroy them, and you make it clear, hey, we're we're the bigger dog here. We are better than you, and let us show you that time and time again. And that's kind of be one of the things I'm watching for. What's Oregon's fight gonna be like in this football game? I think. 
I think if Oregon is going to dominate this game, it's going to be early and at the line of scrimmage. And I think they can, you know, this is an offensive line that we've seen at times be very dominant and have some big games. There's been other games like Washington State where, frankly, they didn't look very good. And I think if they can go out and establish things and assert their will early on on an Arizona front, which is actually not terrible. They've got some decent players. P.J. Johnson, um, older brother of D.J. Johnson, um, is their starting defensive tackle, and he's had a good season for them. He leads the team in sacks, despite being a 340-plus pound, um, you know, big kind of gap-stopping defensive lineman. But you know, this is this is a team that uh, in Arizona that Oregon is capable of beating handle. We saw it last year with Khalil Tate at Autzen. It was 48 to 28. Could have been more dominant than that. I just think you know if Oregon is if Oregon wants to and they can go out there and show you know like against Washington where they won the game on a, with a power run play, if they can show that for a couple quarters, I think they're going to win convincingly. If they're not able to win up front, and it probably goes for both sides because Arizona's strength is running the football. If Oregon can on both sides dominate the line of scrimmage. They're going to win this game handily. If they don't, and I think they're by the way, I think they're fully capable of doing it. I think this is a good matchup for Oregon from that from that regard. I think Oregon has has the guys to go out there and dominate this game um, up front. But if they don't, this game could, like you said earlier, could very easily kind of become a little more, maybe a little too close to call and a little too probably frustrating for Oregon fans who were expecting after the Washington game for this team to really kind of kick it into high gear. One thing to to watch and and to pay attention for is penalties. Um, This Arizona team, for whatever reason, whatever it is, um, of all the FBS teams in the country, opponents are penalized the most when they're playing Arizona. It's a bizarre stat. Yeah, they they are penalized ten times a game for ninety six yards. This this Oregon team is is drastically improved in that penalty department. I think they've cut their penalties in over half. It was over eighty yards a game last it's season. The, the worst in the country. The worst in the country, and, and it's probably now. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm gonna pull them up right now. It so. wouldn't surprise me if it's somewhere in the forties. Or 50s. And <clears throat> they're somewhere ranked inside the middle of the conference. That being said... It's the, they're averaging 52 per game and it's third in the conference between Stanford and Washington. So they're pretty good. Very good, yes. And I think, though, you can go back to Washington State. That first drive. Oof. What happened? Bad snap. Penalty. Saved a bad snap safety. Another penalty on Oregon's offense. All in the first drive. And that just killed Oregon's momentum. Uh, in terms of of the rest of the first half, I I think. And how Oregon prepares themselves, how they handle themselves in a hostile environment against a team that when opponents play them historically this season have committed a ton of penalties, that's going to tell us a lot about Mario Cristobal's coaching and his staff's ability to coach and also this team's talent. But I agree with you. I think Oregon goes into this game and they play the way they should play. They should dominate this game. They have the better players. uh, They have the better individual players. They have the better depth. Um, and I think the game plan is going to be kind of what we've seen basically every game. Run the ball a ton and then have Justin Herbert throw the ball. Now, I, I think it should be opposite. I, I think it's I think it's shown that if, if Oregon lets Herbert throw the ball and, they're, and they're, they're running their full assortment of routes, not the stuff that they ran in their first three non-conference games. Right, yeah. Uh, where they were very vanilla with the routes that they did. If they let loose the entire play by throwing the football, I think Oregon's offense is going to be really, really tough to stop. And so I think one thing I would I would want to see is Oregon throw the ball early, take some shots downfield, 
try and get Herbert into some kind of a rhythm. Because if he gets into a rhythm like he did against Stanford, Arizona has no chance. And then power run game, salt the game away. Yeah, and it's worth noting, and you, I think those are good points, um, but we haven't seen Oregon vertically have a ton of success this year. Dylan Mitchell's done a fantastic job, obviously, um, uh, of, of you know getting behind coverages, but I'm looking at the stats here. Oregon has not had a pass play of more than 36 yards since the Stanford game. You know, they've... And against Washington, Washington State, the largest yardage, uh, the longest plays were 23 and 28 yards. So they haven't really been getting behind the defense for long pass plays. I think Phil Mitchell did have a touchdown against Washington, I believe, that was behind the defense, and it was just they weren't that far out. But at the same time, I, I think uh, – no, that, that was the Cal game where he did that, actually. I, I, I think this is a game where they can have success that way, and I think this team honestly has the, the talent – with Dylan Mitchell and, and you know Jalen Red has shown at times this season to do some things vertically against a lot in Arizona defense that's been really bad this year against yeah. the pass. It's just not a very good pass defense and and I, I you know I think getting ahead early against this Arizona team is perfect because if you want this team if you're going against Arizona you really want them to be trying to throw the ball late to come back because yeah. that's not how this team is built. This team is built um, to run they won't the football win. and they won't win because I don't think you're confident enough in either Red Rodriguez. Or Khalil Tate throwing the football because, frankly, you know, and not to be too disrespectful, those guys haven't been fantastic throwing the football this year. You just look at the numbers. Tate has completed 53.4% of his passes this season. That's not very good. And Rodriguez is completing 51.9%. Those are two quarterbacks that are basically borderline, you know, not even, barely over 50%. And for context, Justin Herbert is completing 62% of his passes this year, which is down from the last previous seasons. Um, and those numbers have dropped significantly after Washington and Washington State, where his numbers weren't as good. He threw for over 75% against Stanford and Cal. So an opportunity, I think, if Oregon gets ahead, to just put it down on Arizona, because I don't know if this Arizona team has it in them to really mount a big comeback. Let's get into our picks of the week. Um, first one on the road, Utah at UCLA, Friday night game. The Utes are a 10-point favorite. This is kind of for the Pac-12 South Division. Yeah. Ironically it's enough, bizarre, man. UCLA goes 0-5 to start the year, wins two in a row, and they're still alive they're, they're still and control alive. their destiny to win the Pac-12 South. Yeah, I was going to say, UCLA actually has a better chance or has more control over their Pac-12 destiny than the Ducks do. And Oregon has gone out <laughs> and beaten some really good teams and been competitive all season. And yet you look up in the Pac-12 South standings, and it's there are four up. teams with two losses, and UCLA is one of them. And if they beat Utah at home this week, which I think is a little far-fetched, I'm going to pick Utah, I'm just going to say. But just this narrative is so bizarre because the Pac-12 North is, oh, they've got four ranked teams. Washington, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal, or and Oregon, sorry, are all ranked right now. Pac-12 South has one ranked team, it's Utah. They're the least, they're the lowest ranked team besides Stanford that's ranked right now. The other teams are have not been particularly impressive. And UCLA is hanging around here with a real chance, if they win this weekend, to, to make things really interesting in the South. But I, I think Utah is playing better than, I'd almost say, anyone in the conference besides Washington State right now. I think they are the hottest team. They just put it on a couple of teams in the last three weeks. They've, they've looked really strong offensively. We knew this team defensively could be something really talented and, and, and tough to, to match up against. But you just look at what Utah has done the last three weeks against some some talented teams. Against Stanford, they scored 40 points. Against Arizona, they scored 42 points. And against USC last week in that win, they scored 41. I like I like Utah to win. I think they do it pretty handily. I'm going to pick I'm gonna pick, uh, UCLA. To win or to To, to win. Wow. Straight up. Jesus. Utah, 
I'm looking at the the numbers last couple of seasons um, on the road in conference games, and Utah has a loss this year at Washington State, and then they had a blowout win at Stanford. We should note that that game did not include a Bryce Love uh, in 2018, so they're one on one. And in 2017, um, they lost or they won at Arizona 30 to 24. They lost at USC 28 to 27. They lost at Oregon. And they lost at Washington. They haven't won a lot on the road in conference play in the last two years or so. Um, I'm, I'm taking UCLA straight up. I think the Bruins have figured things out a little bit. They're stabilizing a little bit. Their talent's better than what their record indicates. It's a road game on a Friday night. U- Utah's coming off a very emotional big win the week before at home against U- uh, USC. So I'm... Well, and let's just say really quickly that the implications of that would be crazy for the game the following week. Because, I mean, a lot, not too long ago, we thought, oh, UCLA, Oregon was going to be just a nothing burger. Who really cares? Because Oregon's going to be so much better. But if, if UCLA comes in winning three straight wrong. games, they're like maybe in contention for the South. Suddenly that game with Chip Kelly becomes super interesting. Yeah, I'm taking UCLA and the, and the points, obviously. Well, obviously. Uh, Colorado on the road, 24-point favorite over Oregon State. Oregon State has disappointed me so much. Um, I, the consensus we had everyone, every, all four of us that do picks each week um, on the site had Oregon State beating Cal, and they go out and just get absolutely annihilated. Pro- is that that might be the most lopsided game so far in the Pac-12 from a margin? I'd have to look, but it was pretty dang bad. I have no confidence in this Oregon State team right now, and Colorado, who has I think lost their last two games after starting five and zero. Has played good teams, though. It's not like they've gone out and lost to Cal and gone out and lost to Arizona. They've played good teams, and they've lost They've lost fairly competitive games. I like Colorado to win, and I like Colorado to cover. I, I think Oregon State's bad, and I don't expect that's going to change. And if you look at Oregon State's record, this is going to be an 0 for season in the Pac-12, because Colorado's probably the most winnable game left on the schedule. It gets much, much more difficult directly after that. I've trusted Colorado... Or Oregon State too many times. You can't, I think. I don't care what the line is the rest of the year. I'm picking against them mm-hmm. to not cover uh, that, that spread. It, it's just it's too high. I mean, they're just you can't trust them. So I'm taking the points twenty four. And, and if you and if you are one of those people that really revels in Oregon State being bad, they're one in six right now. Um, Over in the conference, and this is how they finish at Colorado hosting. USC at Stanford at Washington oh and God. hosting Oregon. I mean that they play. They're gonna get. This. They're gonna get completely destroyed. They play the five. You can argue five of the top six teams. You'd probably have Washington State in that discussion as well to finish out the pack. Well, actually, they don't play Utah there, but they still. That is a murderer's row to finish the season, and I would be shocked if they are even remotely competitive in any of those games. Besides, maybe the Civil War, just because it's a rivalry. And not that. Not that even. would shock me if they were competitive against Oregon. All right, moving on to the next one. Huge game. Probably the biggest game in in the week for the Pac-12, I think. Uh, Stanford opens as a three-point favor at home over the Washington State Cougars. It's a tough one because Stanford has been playing very well. They, they are still ranked, but they've, they, haven't, there's, they haven't shown a lot where I go, man, this Stanford team, they've really figured it out, right? It's right. Not like Washington State, you can say that about. I think you can say that about Utah. But you look at 
this team. They looked pretty bad against Arizona State. Honestly, Oregon should have beat them. They got obliterated by both Notre Dame and Utah. If you just look over the last four games, there's nothing that you really go, oh, this is a really good football team. I think Washington State, which is a little bit more battle-tested right now, and at least it's had more success in those bigger games, is going to win this football game. That, unfortunately, hurts Oregon's chances of winning the division. But I think Washington State right now is is a little too a little too uh, talented offensively, a little too explosive, and I still don't know what Stanford is. Washington State's won the last two games. So they've won on the farm in 2017. They won at home 24-21, a close one. And in 2016, Washington State went on the road uh, and beat a 15th-ranked Stanford team 42-16. to They yeah, blew them out. I remember that. Um, I'm picking the Cougars straight up, and I'm picking the points, obviously. Uh, I think Washington State wins this one almost, maybe even by two scores. And let's just really quickly, if Washington State wins this game, it then becomes pretty – It's Oregon would have a really hard shot of getting involved here again because I don't think Washington State's going to lose multiple games. And then it really becomes a Washington-Washington State matchup here, and that Apple Cup becomes possibly the, the, the division-determining game here because both those teams are would be – one loss teams, and uh, and I just don't see looking at their schedule a lot of games where things go the other way. So, so real quick, deviating away from the picks here yeah. a little bit, the pack Oregon's chances of winning the Pac-12 North. It's better for Stanford to win. Is that what you're that's that, what you're that, saying? Yes. Right? Yeah. Why I, uh, is that? Uh, well, if you look at just the and I'll pull up the story. There, the um, the thing here is Oregon can't be tied with either. Stanford or Washington State, obviously, because those teams have that, the head-to-head. They can be tied with Washington, but the issue that you run into with, with Washington State, unfortunately, is that their schedule on the back end here, there aren't a lot of games where you go, uh-oh, that's a game that's going to be tough. This, this week's game is one of them, and then obviously the Washington game. In between there, you have a, a home game against Cal, who's not looked very good. A road game against Colorado, which could be interesting. And then a home game against Arizona doesn't look very good. So if you're Oregon, I think you want Stanford to win this game because for Oregon to win the division, Washington State probably has to have three losses. And I don't think Washington State's going to lose to Cal. I don't know about Colorado's the most interesting one. And I don't think they're going to lose to Arizona. So if if Washington State it finishes with two wins, or sorry, two losses or fewer, they then Oregon has no chance to win the division. So that, that's kind of what it comes down to. And, of course, that would make things interesting for Stanford because they don't have one division loss. I mean, it, it takes a lot. Right. There's going to have to be some upsets here. I posted on the site that basically the, the games that if you want to keep track of kind of what Oregon needs to happen, they need to split. At least these teams need to split games with each other, the Washington, Washington State, Stanford. And then you look at that game right there that I talked about um, earlier with Colorado, I think, hosting – Washington State on November 10th, and then Stanford visiting, or I'm sorry, Stanford visiting UCLA on November 24th. Those are the games where those other teams could possibly stumble. Getting back to our picks, USC is a four-point favorite at home over Arizona State. This one's pretty easy for me. USC's at home, ASC's on the road. I'm taking the home team. What was the line, sorry? Four. Oh, yeah. USC four. The issue with USC is the quarterback situation. JT Daniel not yeah, he, hasn't been, he hasn't been cleared yet from concussions. Uh, Jack Sears, who I don't think has – I'd have to look the numbers up. I don't think he has played in this level before. I'm not sure if he's has, – has he started a game or – I'm not even sure. I don't believe he has. Um, I'm just trying to pull this up right now. I just, I'm just picking USC because – a, ASU is a mess right now. I mean, sure. you, they, if you watched last week's game against Stanford, they had an opportunity to drive the field for a game-tying touchdown. Uh, they had an opportunity to throw 
you know, they were at, I think, Stanford's like 30 or something of that nature, 40-yard line, and 14 seconds left in the game, no timeouts, yeah. and a senior quarterback throws a pass across the middle for a gain of seven yards, and the game is over because Stanford or ASU couldn't get to the line of scrimmage to rip off another play. So uh, I'm actually going to say this gets really weird and Arizona State wins just because (laughs) the quarterback situation at USC is so weird. They're going to be starting uh, another freshman quarterback who hasn't played. Arizona State is a veteran team. They've they've been, like, you look at Arizona State, we talked a little bit earlier about Arizona's losses and stuff like that. You look at Arizona State's losses this season in Pac-12 play, like, they haven't been getting their ass kicked. They they lost 27-20 to to Washington, 28-21 to Colorado, and 20-13 to Stanford. So it's three one-score losses they've had. This season, they lost to San Diego State 28-21. So they have four losses by um, a combined 28 points. I think they're actually going to be competitive in this game. And I think the fact that USC has a bad quarterback situation, I'm actually, you said it was pretty easy. I actually go the opposite way. Hmm. Just like you did with Utah-UCLA, yes. kind of flip-flopping. Flip-flopping. Uh, Washington, 10-point favorite on the road at California. Um, I don't know what to make of this game because I I said... We, last, last week, we said we're on the Cal, Cal was the worst, worst team. team in the conference. They were going to lose. And then they proceeded to score like 40 points against Oregon State. Yeah. I think that's a sign that OSU's defense is really, really bad. Which it is, yeah. Because if if, Oregon's, if Cal's offense, which is putrid, can put up 40 <laughs> against OSU, oh my God. Um, but at the same time, Washington just doesn't put teams away for good until really late. And so on the road... Maybe this Cal team's fired up for Washington. This is one of those ones where if this was like a Washington 12, I wouldn't take Washington. No. If this was California as like an eight-point underdog, I would take Cal. So you're saying Vegas did their job? Yes. Vegas put this right in the right zone. Vegas put it right in the right zone. Um, It's worth mentioning Cal actually scored 49 points when they beat... Oregon State, so, Oregon so bad defensively. I think Washington's going to win, and I think it'd be more than ten points. I'll take Washington with the points. I, I do think that I agree that that line is sort of interesting because you you look at what Washington has done this year in terms of winning games in Pac, in Pac twelve play, and they've won. Let's see here, they've won by seven, they've won by seven, and they've won by fourteen, and that's how they've. Oh, oh sorry, fourteen, seven, seven, fourteen. So they're 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 they're, they're winning close games. I think this game is actually not going to be very close. I don't know what Cal is, but I know they're not good. I'm still on the Cal isn't very good bandwagon. Uh, I think Washington. Yeah, I think Washington takes care of business. Uh, I'm going to take not confident at all, but I'm going to take the Huskies and the points and the points. Um, I I just can't trust Cal enough. I can trust Washington to win the game, and I can trust them to you know keep Cal at bay. Um, last game of the of the slate here, and it's the one that we're going to cover this weekend. Oregon opens up as a nine-point favorite at Arizona on the road. Um, my first reaction—that's pretty low. Yeah, I felt similarly, and then, and especially with Khalil Tate's health sort of uncertain, and you don't think Rhett Rodriguez is great. I think there's some probably been a little bit of pushback with Oregon because all of a sudden they were almost a top ten team. They didn't play very well, especially in that first half against Washington State. I'm. I'm pretty confident Oregon wins and does so decisively. I'm still, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the marginal pick um, when we do our picks tomorrow will be, but I'm going to pick Oregon to win by at least three touchdowns. I'll tell you that Woo! right now. I, I think they're going to win pretty handily. Oregon hasn't had that blowout victory in Pac-12 play yet, right? You look through it, um, they lost to Stanford. They beat Cal by 18, but that was aided by a last-second touchdown. They beat 
Washington by three point or six points, I guess, and then they lose to Washington State. So, uh, or they beat Washington by three, right? Because Washington took the field goal. But uh, I, I, I think Oregon is due for a blowout. I think this team has the talent to do it, um, and I think they're going to do it. And I think they're going to win pretty decisively, and it's going to be a game that gives you a lot more confidence entering that back stretch of the Pac-12, where Oregon finishes with a game against UCLA, which looks more difficult by the day, against Utah, which certainly looks more difficult. And then Arizona State and Oregon State, which look like very winnable final games. But I think this is going to be a confidence builder for a team that kind of needs that. I'm taking Oregon and the points. I'm with you. I think it's going to be a three-score game. I think Oregon puts up a lot. Arizona maybe tacks on a touchdown late to make it somewhat respectable. But it's it's going to be a blowout win for Oregon. Um, and I think it's going to be one where a lot of anger is going to be taken out. I think, yeah. I think Oregon's going to play really angry. They're going to play really physical. Um, they're going to have some big plays that happen. And I think this Duck team kind of rides the ship a little bit and goes into a home game against UCLA, against Chip Kelly, uh, looking more like they did against Washington and Stanford than they did against Washington State last week. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Podcast. Please go to iTunes, give us a review, or wherever you listen to our podcasts. Uh, if it's on SoundCloud, give us a review there as well. Uh, we really appreciate it. Spread the word a little bit as well if you could. Help us grow this podcast into something bigger and better as we move on. Please also go to DuckTerritory.com. I'll be at the game providing game coverage. Um, We'll have someone at every football game this season. Uh, I'll be there for the game. And then uh, stick with us throughout the rest of this week leading up to the game for pregame coverage. Again, games at 730 on ESPN. uh, DuckTerritory.com. We'll have pregame, in-game, and postgame reaction and video and photos and quotes and whatever you would look for uh, in Oregon football coverage. So stick with DuckTerritory.com. And for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the Duck Territory podcast. And we will talk to you after the Arizona game. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.